of generosity in a particular way that he did something in the past year, about a year ago, really, right? Um, something that happened. And we, I was thinking about the Bible, it, this does involve God prompting them to give in a unique way. And I was thinking about this because Jesus said, hey, be careful when you, when you give. It's, do that in secret. Don't tell people about it. And so it, I want to just make clear, it wasn't their desire to, you know, it was more like us saying, hey, that's a story that really would benefit people and encourage our faith um, as we hear that. So let's give Bo and AJ a hand and let's hear what, um, what they got to say. Yeah, so um, Jonathan kind of summed that up well, but this is not something we ever planned on sharing like at a church service or with like a big group of people, but um, basically this story really is, it's amazing and representing like our fallen nature, like Oh my gosh, yes, you'll hear it, but um, just our, like, depravity without God, or even with God, like we were Christians when this happened, but um, how much we need him, but yet how, how generous he is, how, um, how there's such abundance in God's kingdom, and really just a story of his grace, so really we hope that all of the glory goes to him in this story, and not that you, like, take anything on, like, oh, Bo and Age are great, because we're not, <laughs> you know, most of the time, so it's just, like, Anyway, I'll just start the story, but um, you can ask questions at the end if you want. But um, so, yeah, I, about a year ago, um, Bo and I were raising support, and we work for Call to Greatness. So basically, we have to raise support for our finances. People partner with us, and it's really amazing. And God, it's just, like, amazing to see God's faithfulness in support raising. Um, that's, a, like, tons of other stories. But um, anyway, we were back in southwest Kansas, where we're from, Garden City, and um, we were at a church service. And so kind of like to let you know what has what had happened in this time. Um, we had been raising support. It had been going great. But then we hit like a just a wall like we had nobody else to contact. We didn't know where to go, what to do. Um, literally, like nobody was answering the phone. I think it had been like a week by the time we had talked to anybody or like we didn't have any appointments or nothing. Nothing was happening. But we were still like having faith, trusting God that he was going to do something. And um, so anyway, we were at a church service, and there was a couple and their kids sitting in front of us. And the whole entire service, God just kept putting this, this family on my mind and on my heart. And I literally have no idea what the message was about because the entire service, I was just, like, focused on these people. And finally, I was like, okay, God, what do you want? <laughs> like, <laughs> you're doing this for a reason, you know? Um, so what, what do you want me to do or say or, you know, f- with this family? And, and little did I know, Bo had also been thinking the same thing with this family. And I just heard God say, you need to ask them if you can, like, like how you can help them, how you can bless them in some type of way. And he kind of prepared my heart, and he was like, it's going to be something big. And, like, I want you to do this, and I'm going to provide the funds for you to do this. And so I was like, okay, like, you know, getting really excited. And I was, like, you know, cheerful about it. And I was thinking, like, okay, like a, a, you know, maybe a rent payment, like a month or two of rent. And, like, for me, that was, like, oh, my goodness, okay, how are we going to do that? But, okay, like, I'm going to trust you, God. So after the service was over, I looked at Bo, and I was like, hey, I think we're supposed to, like, give towards something for this family. And he was like, yeah, I agree. I heard the same thing from God. And it was funny because Bo was like, I have a $50 bill in my wallet. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, no, I think it's going to be something bigger than that. 
So, you know, we were like ready, excited to go meet them. So we met them at the end of the service and got to know their story a little bit. And come to find out, there's like three adults and um, five children living in a two-bedroom apartment, small apartment. And, um, you know, we just like talked to them a little bit. And we just, you know, kind of said, hey, God has given us. He's provided in so many ways for us. And we want to bless you in return. And we just felt like he was asking us to do that. And um, we asked if there was anything that they they had been needing. And they thought about it for a while, and they were like, our kids need new clothes. Like, they just, yeah, they just have hardly any clothes, and so that would be really great. So we were like, yes, let's go shopping. Like, absolutely. So a few days later, we went shopping with them, and we went to TJ Maxx, and it was super fun. Like, we had the best time getting to know this family, the kids. Come to find out, the 12-year-old, the oldest girl, she had been bullied um, in school because of her clothing. Um, it just, like, wasn't trendy enough or whatever. So she had been, been being bullied, and she had never been in a dressing room before. Um, so that was, like, mind-blowing. And so I was so humbled in that moment and just, like, excited to share that with them. Um, so anyway, at the end of the TJ Maxx thing, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, cheerfully giving, we're so excited, and it had been, like, the amount that I felt God asking us to give, and then, um, what happened next, Bo? <laughs> the shopping spree continued, and so when Age was talking about, like, the fallenness of the human nature, and we want to do something good, but we just can't, this is the part that I'm about to tell where that became a reality, <laughs> So the shopping spree continued, and we check out at TJ Maxx, and they're like, yeah, let's go to Ross. Let's go to Ross Dress for Less right next door. So we're like, mm, all right, yeah, sure, that sounds great. So we go, and two hours later, two overflowing shopping carts later, like they're dragging these things behind themselves. The kids are going crazy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is happening here? Like, we didn't give them a limit, and they are they're totally taking advantage of us. You know, that was my initial thought. I began, you know, I, I, we were cheerful. We were ready to give, but there was this, like, <laughs> there was this, oh, my gosh. Like, we didn't give them a limit. So we feel like they're taking advantage of us now, even though it was our fault that we didn't say anything, you know. And so I um, quickly turned from being cheerful to being bitter, and there was like this bitterness that was coming up in me and and I didn't know if it was coming up in Aja because she was kind of playing with the kids and she I, I was assuming it was happening in her too you know and so in that moment it was like man this is tough this is the test and God spoke to me so clearly and he was like that feeling you're feeling right now you've taken advantage of me so many times and I was like oh that's true that's that's very true. And so in that moment, he's like, you've taken advantage of me so many times, but I still lavish you and bless you with grace and mercy and material items and things that you need for your life, and I provide things for you, even though you've taken advantage of me. And so here's this five-year-old boy getting seven pairs of pants. He's probably going to grow out, grow out of them in like two months. But that's who God is. He's like, no, have a ton. Here's grace. Like, have this. This is for you. And so um, I get, we, we leave, we check out. It takes 30 minutes to check out, 30 minutes. Like there's a line behind us and they're just scanning items. The, on the counter, I, the, the clothes are like eye level with me. I'm just like, oh my gosh. 
Thankfully, the lady that we were shopping with, who we were buying the stuff for, she was an employee there. So she actually got like a 30% employee discount. So God was already providing <laughs> some money for us, you know. And so I get back in the car with Aja, and we're just kind of like wide-eyed. Oh, my gosh, what just happened? And I tell Aja, I was like, you know, like, I trust God. And I told her what God told me, that we've taken advantage of him so many times. And it hit her in the heart. And we, we soon realized that, man, this wasn't about, like, blessing other people. And God did that in the midst of it. But this was about our hearts and the generosity that God wanted to show us through, through using us to give to these people. So it was really about developing and transforming our hearts and realizing what we've done to God and that he still loves us and cares for us. And that was, that was the most impactful thing above, like, even giving to these people. So, as Aja said, we were raising support. We hit a wall. Within, like, two or three weeks, we got to 100% support. God provided, like, eight $900 a month in support. And then, um, you know, we just got married, and we weren't expecting a large tax return. And it more than doubled what we spent on this family. So it was like God even provided for us abundantly in that moment. And it was amazing. It was such a great experience and God did so much in our lives through our finances and the way we view finances and being generous with our finances. That's it. Wow, what a great story, huh? How God came through and worked in Bone Age's life in the process. And I was just sitting there thinking, isn't it so true that we like the idea of generosity? But when it comes to generous situations, we sometimes don't know what to do. Um, definitely when God's prompting us to be generous. I actually had a situation this week, is very small potatoes compared to this, but I was on the receiving end, and I, it was very small. But I, I, on Friday, I was really hungry and kind of tired and lack of exercise, lack of sleep. I thought, what I really need, what do I really need? A milkshake from Burger King. That'll do it. That'll, that's the best thing I could do right now. So I went, um, I got that, and I, it was 326, and I thought, this is a great chance to use all this loose change, because I was driving our van, it's got a bunch of change, and all these pennies, I hate pennies. So I pulled up, I told the guy, hey, I've got, I've got some change I want to use. So I gave him $2 in dollar bills, and I gave him a dollar in nickels and dimes, and it took this guy like three minutes to count the dollar. I don't know why it was so hard. It wasn't that hard. Because I had in my ha- next hand 26 cents and mostly pennies that I was going to give him. And, but after he counted the, the dollar, he said, here's your milkshake and here's your change. And he gave me four cents back. And I was like, uh, I underpaid. He said, oh, well, I had some loose change in my pocket and I just made up the difference right there. And it was, like, it was funny because he was being generous to me. But I actually felt kind of robbed because I didn't get to get rid of my loose change. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, what's, I, just, I can't get rid of this money. And so it's just funny. We have sometimes such an abundance, we don't, even, we don't even know what to do with it. But God is a God of abundance. God is a God of generosity. As we're looking at free economics, we see that God works in ways that are different than the way we expect. And today we're talking about generosity and really the foundation of of moving into a lifestyle of freaky generosity is what we talked about two weeks ago, is we have to know that God is a freaky provider, that God is a generous provider. When we know that he takes care of our needs, then we're confident and can trust him to be generous with with our resources with others. 
And two weeks ago, we talked about in Deuteronomy 15, there was in, in God's instructions to his people. And I'm just going to summarize it here. But he basically told the people, hey, if you live the way I want you to, there should be no poor people among you. You can expect to have all that you need if you will just fully follow me and live out the way I've, I've called you to live. And then he turned around right after that and he said, but you will always have poor people with you. And so don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them, but lend and give freely to those around you who are in need. And as we read the story of, in the Bible of God's people, we see that there were moments where they got this. We see moments in history where people gave generously and abundantly. But we also see that for probably the norm, it was that people struggled to actually live this way. Because there is, there's such a power. of. Rob was talking about how God breaks fear and, and how we don't have to be afraid because of what Jesus has done. And one of the biggest fears that controls our lives is the fear of lack. The fear that I'm not going to have enough. That there will not be enough resources for me. And that's one of the, the biggest fears that God wants to address and reveal to us that he's a, a good, abundant provider. And so we're going to look at, at a, a story in the book of Acts because there, all throughout history, until Jesus, his people hadn't really done a great job consistently of, of living generously. But there came a time in history where that changed. And that was when the church was birthed, where we see people living and the church coming into this level of freaky generosity that is just phenomenal. And so we're going to read Acts chapter 2. Um, this is, to, just to set the stage, we have to see what, what had just happened. Is that Jesus had died, he had raised from the dead, he had brought his resurrection power into the world for us. And, he, and then he told his disciples, hey, wait in Jerusalem, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and that's going to empower you to live life the way I want you to live. And so the day of Pentecost is this, this monumental day where it says uh, uh, they, were, they were in an upper room kind of like this, about as many people as are in this room today, and a wind just swept through the room. And the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and filled them. And then they started speaking in other languages that they'd never, they'd never learned. And it just sort of spilled out into the streets. There was this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that came upon them. And it spilled over in the streets, and people were saying, what, why are you speaking all these languages? And they were gathered from all over the world for this, this festival, and they heard them talking about God and proclaiming the truth about God in their own languages. And they said, what's going on? And Peter stood up, and there's just the Holy Spirit, the power of God, is being poured out into the world in an incredible way. And Peter, the apostle, stands up and proclaims to everybody who Jesus is and how he's the Savior of the world and how he's the King of the world and how he had been crucified, but that he had come to, to bring freedom and transformation and his kingdom into the world. And at the end of this, people they were convicted because they realized they had been the ones who had crucified Jesus. And they said, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it says that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. That there was this huge just outpouring of God's generosity, God's abundance, God's power coming into the world. And so, with that as our backdrop, we, we pick up in verse, verse 42. This is our, our main passage here this morning. 
because it's describing how this, how this early church lived. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. There's some Freakonomics going on right there. Everyone, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is just a, a beautiful picture of how the church was born and the kind of community it was. And whenever I've read this, this passage with people, we look at it and I often like to ask the question, would you like to live in this kind of community? And we're, there's sort of a split response because on the one hand, we go, yes, this is what I, I want to live like this. Man, what an incredible community. They, there was joy, there was purpose, there were, there, was, there were committed relationships, there was an incredible sense of community, they were living together, the depth of relationship, there was generosity. Man, this is amazing. But then you step back and you're like, but do I want to live like this? Do I want to consider none of my possessions my own and give freely to those around me? And, and they were generous with their resources. They were generous with their time. There was a freely giving of themselves in an incredible way. And there's a connection between how they gave of themselves and the atmosphere that the church was that they were, they were experiencing. Um, but it, it's interesting that this all came out of God's spirit being poured out upon them. And if we're looking at freaky generosity and it's just me trying to convince you to be more generous, to twist your arm, to give more, to do a, a church building drive because we need more money or something like that, that's, that's, that's going to feel one way. That's going to be me trying to force you to do something. But really, the essence of what we're after here is God filling us with his spirit so much and giving us his heart so much that there's a joy and an overflow to say, yes, this is, oh, what a great way to live. God, you've done so much for me. I want to live like this. And that's really what we're after. That, what do people who live like this, and I, you know, there are a lot of people I've met in America who are really generous. There are a lot of Christians out there that just blow me away. And I've been on the receiving end of so much generosity. People who live sacrificially, people who take joy in giving, people who, who run businesses, but their goal is to generate more and more income for the kingdom of God. And they, they give, even, I know people who give a majority or a huge chunk of their business income to missions and and, and generosity and benevolence in communities. There, there are so many people that, and everyone I meet who's like this, they're never, like, it's funny when both said, you know, as the giving was happening in their story, that bitterness sort of starts to rise up. But people who live this way, they're not bitter. They love it. 
They find so much joy in their giving. And so, what is it that they realize? What has brought them into this place? And I want to just give uh, four things that they realize, real quick. These are things we've kind of been talking about, and so it's a little, for the last couple of weeks, so it's a little bit of, a, of an overview. But the first thing frequently generous people realize is that they understand that God is a freaky provider. They, it's, it's what we've been looking at, but God gives so generously. This was, again, in the context of the Holy Spirit. Peter stood up and he said, what's going on? This is the fulfillment of what God said. I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Not, I will dribble it out. I will give a trickle of my Spirit. But no, I am abundantly pouring out of my Spirit upon the world. That's what God had done. That's who He is. That's what He had done. That's what He does. Um, and then he said at the end of his message, Peter said, you will receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. This gift, it's a gift. God is a gift giver. This gift is for you and your children and for those who are far off. And it's funny, a lot of times when we think about what would it take for me to, to give more generously, where does our mind naturally go? If I had more money, I would give more generously, right? But we're looking at the wrong thing because provision's ultimately not about money or financial resources. It's about God. The more we receive of God, the more we give of everything that we have. And so, Jesus said, freely you receive, freely give. The more we, we understand God's a freaky provider and, and receive that, then we, it overflows out of our lives, just like these, these early Christians. So, frequently generous people realize God's a freaky provider. The second thing, frequently generous people realize that other people are worth helping. They have a heart for others. You know, Bo and Aja, they saw that family, and God gave them a little bit of his heart for that family. And their giving overflowed out of that. We see that in, in these, these Christians in Acts 2, that it wasn't just like, well, what do I have to do? But they were living people that they had a heart for around them. And they said, how, how can we bring our resources to bless people and contribute to the lives of others? That's, that's what it's all about. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a heart thing. The third thing frequently generous people realize is you can't outgive God. That's something that it's one of those things that's said in Christian circles quite a bit that it can become cliche, but it's true. You can't outgive God. The, as we give, God is the generous person prospers. God gives freely. We see in this situation, though, if we can step back from thinking about just what's in my bank account. What was the end of that passage we just read? It says they were, they were living generously. They were sharing their resources and giving to one another, giving to the church. And it says the Lord added or gave, provided to their number those who were being saved. Have you ever thought about that? There was a connection between their giving and God adding more people to the kingdom of God. There was a connection between their giving and people getting saved, people being born again, people's lives being transformed. That their giving led to lives being changed. And that's, that's really what it's all about. And so we can't outgive God. And the more we, as we give of our resources to his purposes, he changes lives. And that's, that's really what it's all about. And so um, it's not just about money, but but it's included in that. In, in Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. 
a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so, there's an abundance of God's life and blessing and lives being changed around us that comes as we, as we live generously. And so it's not just about money, but it is interesting that generous givers do tend to be in better financial shape than non-generous givers. I just read the stat this week that people who, who tithe, people who give 10% of their income to, to God, that one out of three tithers have no debt. That's including house loans, everything. One out of three tithers have no debt. Of non-tithers, is 13%. So that's a pretty big difference. There's, and that's just one, one, one snapshot. But there's so many ways in that there's a blessing of people who, who give generously. And the last thing here that, that frequently generous people realize is that our lives, money, and possession are not our own. That's really what Rich talked about last week. That they're God's, and he entrusts them to us. To steward. And so, again, all of this, as we look at the early church, their, their crazy, freaky giving came from a place of realizing Jesus is Lord. My life is not my own. He purchased my life on the cross. Everything I have is at his disposal. God, what do you want to do with this? I want to read uh, the next cha- or two chapters later in Acts 4. It describes more of how they were living. You guys doing good? Yeah. All right. Enjoying that uh, early alarm clock this morning? <laughs> One less hour. Acts 4.32. Well, if I get in the right chapter, it would help. Okay. Again, all the believers, so this is describing the believers in the early church, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any one of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That's just radical. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Wait, are you going to, like, is this a communist message or something? Are you going to make us all communists? Don't do that. I'm an American. No. It's a little different. This wasn't force. This was voluntary from their hearts. They saw, man, well, the stuff I have, it's not my own. It's God's, and it's freely available for whoever. However, where can it be best, best used? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Wow. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. What does that remind you of? Back in Deuteronomy when God said, hey, my heart is, there need not be any needy people among you. Here we see a fulfillment of that, that in this community of faith, there were no needy people because they were living out Freakonomics the way God intended them to. Isn't that amazing? That's, man, that's radical. That, this is what the world needs to see. It's answers to economic problems. Right here. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And it goes on and it gives a couple examples of, of people doing that. But here's this, this freaky generosity. 
people not considering what they had their own, thinking of how can I take and use what I have and use it to bless others, use it to serve God's purposes, use it to change lives. And it was doing that very thing. Um, one, one thing that really st- stood out to me looking at this is there, there are different ways of giving that are important. And like Bo and Asia's story is the first category, which is just informal, person to person. You see a need, hey, how, what can I do? Maybe provide a meal, or how can I help a person here with, with what I have? How can I give it my time, or my money, or my food, or whatever resources I have, just to help people, person to person. And that is part of the fabric of how people of God live. Is it's just normal to be helping and giving and sharing and, and blessing. But there's a, a different way to give, which was demonstrated here, which was they weren't, it wasn't a direct person-to-person transaction, but the believers would take their money and put it at the apostles' feet. I mean, step back from that. That's pretty crazy. I mean, there were, so the church leaders, I don't know what, where, where they were. Maybe I imagine they would be meeting at the temple outside in the like, patio area. I don't know where, but there would be a time when they would collect the offering and people would come and literally place their offering at the feet of the apostles. And what did that represent? Well, it was, it was they were giving over control of their resources to the church. They were saying, hey, there is a church and we believe God has instituted this church, with the leadership that he's put in place, and we trust them, it was we give to God, but we put it under the leadership of organized religion, so to speak, that they will have discretion over how these resources are used. And in some ways, that's harder, right? Because I, I, I knew a guy who joined the church I was part of, and he was really wealthy. He had created this software in his 20s that um, actually he did training for, for businesses to use software. And he became a multimillionaire millionaire very quickly in his 20s. And he joined the church I was part of. And the church had a, a membership expectation that members would give 10% of their income to our local church. And when it came to that, he said, you know, I can't do that because I have so much money. I can't trust you, I can't trust you as the, the leaders of that church to use this money well. And the pastor looked at him and said, what if God can't trust you to use that money well? Like, it's interesting, you have more trust in your ability to manage it than this church. And the guy ended up leaving and going to a different church because he wasn't willing to do that. And there is something about releasing control and saying, God, this is for you, and this is for your church, and I'm going to trust you and, that, and your people in that process. So, anyone mad yet? <laughs> All right, I'll keep going. No. Um, there's something, though, about, there's something about the informal giving, but there's something about, about committed, substantial, directed, not directed, but directed just to God's kingdom, just directed to ministry endeavors, directed to the church. That is a very powerful means of expanding 
the kingdom of God. And we see, as in, if we want to see the results that we see in Acts, then that's part of the process that's involved. Um, so what do we do with that? Well, I, I was thinking about this. It's just, I think it's so, the thing that was really coming back to me is, it's so important, is we, even as we wrap up this series, that this isn't just nice topics that, you know, oh yeah, generosity is a nice idea, I heard about that. Yeah, I should do something about that someday. But I really want to, I think God wants, it would be essential that we come to a place, like again, like Rich talked about last week, of what am I going to do with what God's word says? How am I going to apply this to my life? And it takes real decisions, real adjustments, real intentionality in our life. I want to read this, this, this uh, excerpt from an article that was in Relevant Magazine a couple years ago. It says, the church of today is not great at giving. This isn't exactly news, but it is a, a st- statistical fact. I just want to say this. I think Bluemont is pretty darn good at giving, actually. So I feel like we are an incredibly, very generous church with a lot of generous people. People come to me all the time and are like, how do you do it? Like, how do you meet in a hotel and you're a church full of college students and how you're like full-time in the ministry? Like, how does that work? And I say, people, our people are generous. Our people give generously. And so con- congratula- you know, kudos to, to you all. <laughs> Or whatever, you know. I, I'm not coming from a place of like, man, we've got to give more. But it's, I really, I'm so excited to be part of people that, that live generously. But, but I think that God is wanting to stretch us and grow us and individually lead us to new places. So, from the, back to this article. The church of today is not great at giving. This isn't exactly news. It's a statistical fact. In the U.S., the United States, in the church, churches across the U.S., tithers, make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation, so people who give 10% of their money. Only 5% of the U.S. tithes, with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Christians as a whole are only giving at 2.5% per capita. While during the Great Depression, they gave at a 3.3% rate. Think about that. In the Great Depression, when my grandfather was shooting squirrels and possum and eating them to survive, people gave more generously than they do now. That, that says something about us. Numbers like that can invoke a lot of guilt, which isn't really the point. The larger point is what would happen, this is, this is really what I want to get to. What would happen if believers were to increase their giving? So they, across the board, if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum of, let's say, 10%, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. Here are just a few things the church could do with that kind of money. $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable, preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy all over the world in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically in the, world, in the world where 1 billion people live on less than $1 a day. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas missions work. 
And that would leave another 100 to 110 billion for additional ministry expansion. Isn't that crazy? That's just one year. One year. So we look at the church in Acts, like, wow, they tore it up. <laughs> I mean, wow, I didn't know it was that funny. But they did. I mean, the Holy Spirit was poured about them, their lives were changed, and they turned the world upside down in their generation. It was phenomenal. I say, how did they do it? It was the Holy Spirit, but they gave generously. Like, with that kind of resources, think it, that's, it brings results. And we could see the same thing happen in our world today if we live the same way. There's a, we, we had a class today, and we had a lot going on. I'm just so excited about the garage sale a week ago. It was phenomenal. We had our church history and end times class yesterday. It was, it was great. Um, spring break coming up, man, there's just a lot of great stuff going on. But one of the things I thought about in the, in the class on end times, there's a verse where Peter says, we talked about a lot of people are waiting for Jesus to come and rescue us out of here, but actually God has given us a job to do to disciple the nations. And he is waiting for us to finish the task before the end comes. That's really what I believe the Bible teaches, that he, we want him to rescue us from our responsibility, but he's given us a mission to disciple the nations. And Peter, in, in the book of uh, either First or Second Peter, I can't remember, but he says, um, hasten the day of Christ's appearing. Do what you can to hasten the day of his appearing. You know, there, it has something to do with the urgency and the, the, the generosity, the way in which we live, in which God's purposes are moved forward. And and that the nations come to know him and be transformed. So, it's concrete action. There's that, that, that power of the fear of lack and fear of provision and just greed and materialism. Giving breaks that power in our life. And I just want to wrap up with, here's one way. There may be different ways that God, are, God is leading you. There may be very specific ways, like with Bowen Age, the Holy Spirit maybe just be whispering to your heart, like, hey, this is how I want you to step out in faith and apply this in your life. But uh, I just read this. Those of us who are doing the weekday calling development groups, um, it's based on a book called God at Work by Ken Costa. And last week our topic was about God and, or giving and money. And he gives this six-month challenge that I thought was a great practical challenge to consider in us stretching our, our generosity. So here's what it is. This is a great way to, to grow in our, in our generosity. One option, there are three different options you have. Reduce your discretionary spending by X percent. So discretionary spending, that's you know, not your essentials in life, but the things that are entertainment or optional expenses. You're like, how, could I rele- how, how do I reduce it by X percent? I have no idea what I spend on that. Well, that's what we talked about last week. First of all, it's important to have faithfulness and know what we're spending but then be intentional to reduce it. Second option, or these could go together, increase your giving by X percent. So whatever you're giving, increase that. I was in a seminary class a long time ago, and my professor was, he's actually a, his name is C. Peter Wagner, he's a well-known author. Um, he was in his 70s, uh, I think at that point, and he told the story that when he was just starting out, he and his wife had gotten married and they were just starting out in their, their marriage, 
their church challenged their members to increase their giving every year by 1%. So whatever they, were, whatever they were giving every year, bump it up 1%. And he and his wife made a commitment in their 20s that for the rest of their life, they were going to increase what they were giving to church and to missions by 1% every year. So he was in his 70s now, and they were giving, and they'd even, they'd, some years they'd done more than that, they were giving more than 70% of their income to the kingdom of God. And you think like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like, I just remember that. I was like, man, that's, I'd, I'd like to see more and more of that. You know, how, what a great way to live. So that could be, you know, maybe something along those lines, or maybe just in the next six months, hey, let me bump it up by a certain percent. Or the third option, um, match your discretionary spending with equal giving. So that means the way you do this is every time you go to Starbucks or Redina's and spend five bucks on a coffee, you're like, all right, I'm going to give five bucks to something for the kingdom of God. And be intentional. Every time we're doing something just discretionary like that, I'm going to at least give as much to, to, to God's kingdom. Doesn't that sound exciting? Man, like, this is, this, is, this is crazy giving. So, I just want to leave you with that. I'm looking, you know, I, we're not going to be uh, doing anything except asking you to consider that and see what God would prompt you to do. So, any, just real quick, any thoughts or questions on anything I've said this morning? Mitchell, yeah.